You know, even in the world of learning geeks, we are still learning nerds. So we're really into learning technology and science and all of that kind of stuff. And so we're going to get nerdy and geeky at the same time. We have Alexandria Clapp joining us from ATD on the Learning Geeks podcast starting now. Hello, friends. Hey. So nerd, nerdy and geeky, does that make it neaky or gurdy? Gurdy? It's pretty gurky that you said that. Fun fact, we actually used to, we started off as learning nerds. We did. Remember? We did. Yeah. We did. We started off as the learning nerds, right? We did one episode as the learning nerds, and then somebody else pinged us and was like, we just started our new podcast, and we did all this market research, and can we please have the name? And we didn't, you know... We, we didn't put it in and register it. Can we please have the name? We're like, yes, we're good guys. So we're going to become the learning geeks. And I don't, think they're, I don't think they're doing that podcast anymore. I Every once in so. a while I look. But, but now somebody else is the learning nerds. I didn't, I didn't know that either. But you know what? what? As the learning geeks, we are in the top 17% of all podcasts in the world. What? <laughs> <laughs> so... So that's great. That's great. Well, hey, without further any further ado, let's welcome our guest, Alexandria Clapp. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be here today. We're, We're happy to have here. you here. Where, where are you physically? Where are you located? I am physically located in Bethesda, Maryland right now. Oh, okay. Wow. So we're like all across the country. So Bob's got mm-hmm. West Coast. Yeah, we got every time we zone every, covered. We got every, every time, time zone. zone. Yeah. At East Coast, uh, Bob, uh, Jake's in Central, I'm in Mountain, and Bob, you're in Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was pretty nerdy right there. <laughs> <laughs> Jake, do you, want to, do you want to kick us off? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, you've been connected with Alexandria for a while. Why don't you kick yeah, us off? Yeah. So, so her and I, so Alexandria and I have uh, we're met, of course, through ATD. Um, it, it all started, our relationship started back at... Uh, I don't even know now, 2019, I think it was, in the, the last in-person ATD technology conference that uh, we worked on, plus, of, of course, prior to that prepping. So I was part of the planning committee, and uh, Alexandria was, I think, uh, transitioning over to her new current role at that time. And before that, uh, she came from a, a learning science, cognitive science space. I t- Correct me if I'm wrong, right? Is that, do I have that right? I think that's what my memory writes, but I was, you know, I did wake up very early today. That, that is correct. I, one, um, one addition is that it was 2020. So that was February 2020, which does feel. Uh, oh my like gosh. Yeah, you're right. It does feel a ago. decade ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just assumed travel was way before, two th- before 2020. So you're right. I forgot. That was, that was TK 2020, February. You know, a lot of, a lot of folks who attended that conference say it was the last time that they traveled before yeah. the pandemic. And yeah. that's right. I, I worked at an organization in the DC area that apply cognitive science for improving learning outcomes. So I, I got to partner, our, I got to train our partner organizations, uh, usually teachers to deliver one-to-one 
customized cognitive enhancement programs. So very deep in the space of helping others learn how to learn and super rewarding. And I I kind of fell in love with ATD as I was there and I was working on kind of benchmarking our training and leveling up myself. So took a, a lot of the certifications that ATD was offering and, uh, you know, a role opened up. So I, I hopped over in January of last year, met Jake, asked Jake to help us out with some of one of the things in my portfolio is the TK conference. And uh, someone had decided it'd be a cool idea to do a year long learning experience, but hadn't actually been fleshed out yet. So I got to jump in and, and ask Jake to help me out and kind of pilot and create our connect sessions which we are still doing this year and i apologize in advance because that came out of our design session before you arrived which was to do tk <laughs> sounds like a setup to me yeah uh, that was a total <laughs> tk over the year so that was the that was a design decision that we made but no it's been it's been really fun and i feel like i i bother alexandria a lot about getting information connecting her with individuals and so i often either someone from my team or folks that I'm meeting outside of it, I often link her up with or link them up with, with her um, because of the knowledge in the field. One other thing about that uh, TK conference, that's the last time that the three of us were together. I was because just thinking we, that. Yes. Yeah. We did uh, two uh, live podcasts from there. With uh, Carl. With, with Carl, Carl, Kopp, Carl Kopp and, and Britt um, Andrietta. And Britt Andrietta. Yep. Yep. Well, hey, let's, let's maybe jump in. So, Alexandra decided to bring in some topics and some themes, knowing her with her knowledge of the field of learning science and technology. And she thought, you know, why, why don't we bring in some some ideas and let's just discuss them. So more about the trends. And we and we and Bob, myself and Dana have no idea what she brought in. So this is we have no prep. We're just going to. So go there for may it. you might uh, there might be some heavy editing is what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that no one what? will know about, but I will. Yeah. I will know about editing, but yeah. So, Alexandra, what do you have? What, what, what's been on your mind? What have you been hearing from ATD and, and as well as others? Yeah, well, the, so the first thing, and I don't know if this is cheating, but I was trying to think of a good order to go into, and I felt like I, we have to talk about this, um, learning how to learn. And the mm -hmm. science of learning itself is a skill and that is trending and that's exciting though the world economic forum they released their future of jobs report last fall uh, they update that research every few years and and in their new report it includes the most in-demand skills and number two in the top 10 list is active learning and learning strategies and a prerequisite to self-directed learning which i also think is a trend is this is understanding how we learn. And that includes a few things. It includes understanding how we process, consolidate, retain, and apply information. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here. You guys know this. It's it's what are the role of our cognitive skills? Um, what is attention and working memory, executive functioning, long-term memory? What do those things do? What are the, the limitations of each of those skills? Uh, what is metacognition and metacognitive regulation skills like planning, assessing, monitoring, controlling, debugging, reflection, all those things? 
Um, when you know all of these things, you can utilize the methods that we know then work for successful learning, the generation and elaboration, creating associations, story making, mind mapping, chunking, retrieval practice, spacing the learning, overlearning. I, I could just keep going on and on. Um, and and we can be we can be proactive about getting feedback. Uh, being comfortable with the discomfort of learning, embracing those difficulties, uh, ensuring that there is a focus of attention, there's a purpose, why am I here? Uh, all those things when we've cultivated the skill set of learning how to learn. And I, I'm excited about this. Any learning enthusiast, I think, is excited for what that means. What are some of those outcomes as we're setting up self-directed learners as employees in, and creating learning cultures where folks can better navigate their modern workplace with more agility and adaptability. They're going to be able to successfully reskill and upskill. That's what everyone wants. And you if you know how to learn, then you will be able to do that and continuously evolve in your roles and your responsibilities and ultimately innovate more effectively, which going back to the World Economic Forum's report, the number one skill is to be able to innovate. And, and I think you need to be able to learn how to learn first to then be able to innovate. I've got a question because as you pointed out, and I think we talked about before, there's actually a lot of science now behind how the brain processes and how we, how learning actually takes place. Um, in some of our work with our colleagues at MIT, they, 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 it was this, the comment that was made was, we know a lot about how the brain works. We're just not very good at applying it. Yeah. Right. And so my question to you, Alexander, is what have you seen that has actually helped in bridging the gap between, you know, the nerdy science stuff and the Dana needs to learn a skill stuff in, you know, where you're actually using some of the, the science-based approaches? Mm, that's a great question. I do think some of it comes from learning leaders who are prioritizing learning and understanding how to learn. Um, they're, they're decision makers and they have purchasing power. And uh, I think that those folks and other learning science consultants are influencing suppliers and vendors to incorporate learning science into their products and solutions. That should go without saying, but <laughs> I don't think that was always the case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so things that are suddenly aligning with with scientific and evidence-based principles of how we learn, I think that because it's trending, uh, folks are interested in uh, the subject matter experts in the space who are putting out resources. Uh, I, I, I think Miriam uh, Nealon and Paul Kirshner put out a book last year, and Clark Quinn put out a book that just published with ATD Press uh, in April. Gosh, it's May, and that already feels like a while ago. <laughs> it's like it's been a month. Um, and uh, that was something I was really excited about coming to ATD. Um, is that, That's part of my role is getting to help create books. And that was the first uh, book project that I worked on start to finish. And I uh, you know, Justin, my boss, he talked about um, 
this idea for a learning science handbook. And the ATD handbooks, you guys probably know, are, are very, very big, very lengthy. And I, I pitched the idea of an essentials book. I think this is how it happened. We, I was reaching out for Clark for ideas of who, who to reach out to, who do we think would want to do this. And he said, I want to do this. Um, and that was really fun to be able to talk about that, the application, um, the actually being able to apply it when he was writing the book. So making sure that was incorporated, not just telling folks about spacing, because people understand what spacing is, but how do you do that? And, and I think it goes back to the technologies and tools that we're using too. I'm always looking at the lots of academic journals to see what research is coming out and, and folks are experimenting with uh, what is the one I looked at the other day? It's like wearables. They they did a study and they got uh, smartwatches and they're looking at improving retention and doing retrieval practice through smartwatches. And we know, you know, so I think that there's lots of cool ways that it's being applied in uh, I, what I'd love to see is instructional designers who are making sure that they're understanding the fundamentals, going back to that space. I've told this story, I, maybe to anyone who will listen to me tell it, which is I, I heard Say Shots um, when she was asked, um, what is the learning technology that folks should invest in for their organization? She says, learning sciences for your instructional designers. Mm-hmm. And I love that, it's so accessible. It is something that not only is uh, affordable, but it is also strategic. You're going to make yourself a strategic organization uh, by investing in understanding how learning works. And the more people who understand it, the more they're able to, individuals are able to apply it themselves. But see, I wonder how how much of this, how much of really making a difference here is as much a communications or change management campaign with the learner as it is teaching them how to learn better, right? Because I I know when we've taught the learn to learn, there's always kind of a spirit of, I already know how to learn, right? Like I have a degree, Mm -hmm. I have a college degree, I have a master's degree, I know how to learn. Uh, I don't have to unlearn the habits that I've had and learn new ones. And, you know, I, I know that's true. For me, I, I have often said, and I just said it again this week, you know, if, if I could wave a magic wand and have everybody at Accenture keep a learning journal where every day they just spent a few minutes writing down, reflecting and writing down what they learned for that day, we could make such a difference, but there's no way that would ever happen. <laughs> uh, but, you know, but, but I, I wonder if, if this topic is really trending and not just trending between or amongst us learning nerds or geeks and uh, trending amongst the general populace, you know, maybe there is a day where something like that could happen. Well, and and Alexander, you brought up that point about what you think, to to Dana's question, what you think it it takes to do this well. And some of the research that we've done for ourselves internally, we we met with a whole bunch of individuals externally um, from K through 12, higher ed, and even corporate education. And what we learned from it is that a lot of it takes the empowerment of learner agency, like the ability to to allow, empower individuals to have more ownership rather than your typical top down of this is how we push learning. And so when we noticed that when people made this shift, 
from the pre-pandemic to pandemic, which again really changed the the approach of how we how we teach and how we learn. Um, not necessarily how we learn, but again how we deliver uh, learning. I should say. Um, we found out that the 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 more successful individuals were those or institutions were those that already had some of that in place, and and for majority is not the case. So to your point, Alexander, that's where I see I see a lot of potential in leadership and in institutions, organizations to encourage learning to happen, and then maybe use techniques like Bob right has with with journals or with things like that, encourage those behaviors to happen which will take time. It's not easy to do, but again, something that empowers individuals to actually learn. Yeah. It made me think too, Bob, your example about, you know, Howard Gardner is always, it seems like every few years he's adding intelligences to his multiple intelligence theory. And I think one of the new ones is teaching. Uh, Teaching is in a skill and though there's so much overlap with the skill of learning. So it made me think about that, that that is one of those things that some people are going to, and again, this is leaving the general intelligence factor theory. And, you know, I, I get nervous about talking about multiple intelligences theory, just because I think folks conflate it with learning styles. And then it means, oh, this person is a teacher, so this is how you connect with them. And this mm-hmm. person is, you know, a good athlete because they're a kinesthetic person. Um, but I, I do think that, that that's probably always going to be the case, that you're going to have um, the folks who are going to be the and, – and those folks can be learning champions and probably culture – culture changers or leaders in that way and helping kind of drive the learning culture. All right. So given the time, let's jump into maybe trend two. So learning (laughs) science, we have this anchor of what we should look at, learning how to learn. And then what about, I'm I'm sure you have a technology. What what is that? Oh, a technology? Oh, actually, well, you know what was number two on your list? Let's not disrupt your list. (laughs) What was number two? How can I... Jake had a hidden agenda there. I don't know. What I did. Exactly. I just. I. Pivot. What was number two then? All right. <laughs> well, well. So we can talk about technology for this one because the second one I was thinking about was social learning, and that's kind of fun because everyone has like a different definition of what social learning is. Um, is it you know the more academic lens is going to be it's peer learning, it's peer to peer, it's collaborative where uh, you know someone else might say this is informal or it's a type of informal um i think it's experiential it can be distributed it's often messy it can be diverse it can be personal as people are bringing in their own perspectives their own experiences uh julian stodd he has this great quote that formal learning is a story written by an organization and addressed to its people Social learning, in contrast, is a story largely written by the learners themselves. I love that. I think it's empowering. I think, again, it builds off of what we were talking about before. Um, it's, it, uh, you know, I've been learning a lot about situated cognition from Clark Quinn. He incorporates some of that in his book. And I think social learning is a component of that, of successful learning, of being able to set up the right context or environment for learners to flourish and to connect back to learning technology. Um, 
this has really this has really boomed. People are allowed to have these large, diverse, distributed communities in a way that wasn't possible. It wasn't the same without technology. It's truly facilitated that. And, and folks have a lot of online tools at their disposal now to continue to facilitate this learning. Um, and whether it's you're in a discussion group or there's peer coaching or there's action learning groups um, or environments where folks can work on problem solving skills or active listening skills, you know, just so many different um, examples. But uh, when I was thinking of uh, I, my, my method, I can't help it when I go back to my teaching for my old organization, like what's the real life example or the outside and then what's the workplace example. I was thinking of um, Bridgerton. It's a dramedy series on Netflix. If you guys have heard of it, I know you guys are Star Wars crowd. Watched um, every episode. I, actually, I have, I have a, a friend who was in the writer room of that. So I was like watching, you know, that was a little bit of it. But no, I'm into all that. That was awesome. Okay. So this, this inspired someone, this TikTok video went viral. She was like, what if Bridgerton was a, a musical inspired by like the language that they were using? And she, uh, this went viral and it initiated these two young female composer writers to start creating music uh, Br for Bridgerton the musical. And what I've loved like watching is that they are writing their songs in real time and they're sharing their process with a growing community online through Instagram Live. They are completely candid about their whole process. It's been a true mix of this, this value co-creation. The, the community is giving them ideas about lyric lines and uh, melodies or harmonies to use. Um, and it, to connect back to some of those techniques that you guys were talking about with Lisa, like modeling and articulating, uh, thinking out loud, that folks are able to watch and ask them questions as they're creating those melodies and as they record and as they do the mixing and the editing and all of the different complex components that make up writing and composing music. And if anyone has experience with, you know, the formal education when you're sitting in a music theory class, sometimes it is so removed and so different. And then this organic sort of messy experience. Um, and to bring it back now to the L&D world, <laughs> I'm seeing instructional designers kind of play around with that in live streams. Um, Kath Ellis comes to mind they'll model prototyping something or they're building something in real time where folks, again, they're watching, they're asking questions as they're working and we're seeing folks leveraging screencasting and live streams and video recordings and ways to be able to share quick, whether it's quick informal learning or something that's a long process and it, it's not structured in, the, in a formal learning setting. I was thinking about your Instagram example and what came to mind is an older version of something kind of like that. And is the Bob Ross, right? Bob gets yeah, up and yeah, he does yeah. his yeah. painting and he walks, every, you know, and you, you follow along with your own stuff, you know, a, a more primitive version, but uh, somewhat similar. I also think to kind of full loop back to even the first point of when we say learning to learn and then you even we mentioned teaching as well. Social learning allows this to happen. 
and especially as we give technologies to ha have that happen. So these individuals are teaching and they're not certified. <laughs> they're, they're, they have expertise in this specific area and they have a platform to do it. And they have the agency to do it as well. And I think that's kind of where it starts to come full circles is allowing allowing more teachers to to come out where the, the concept, I think Dana, you had the, it wasn't the future of learning concept of mm -hmm. everyone's a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was, and we talked about uh, people, learners don't care as much about educational pedigree as they do about experiential pedigree at this right, point. Sure. Right. Can someone actually do it? I want to learn something from someone who can actually do it. And this is all very exciting and yet very threatening to us as learning professionals, because we want to sit there and be like, hey, where's your learning objectives? <laughs> you don't have those phrased right. What story well, are we going to measure this? Yeah. Right. And, you know, everything that we're saying is about letting go things that we have normally mm -hmm. uh, been in control of. Right. We're, we're almost, you know, like our job now is almost to design chaos or, you know, to, to design. Well, that's, structured that's not, chaos. Yeah. Or, structured you know, chaos. We're, we're designing environments. <laughs> we're designing environments where this type of learning can take place. Right. And maybe we're designing some support going back to our discussion with Bob Mosier. Right. But really less and less of us designing set learning agendas for a course or any activity and more uh, how, do, how do we create the environment where people can just get together and, and knock this out? Sounds a lot like learning agility. Yes. I love that, Bob, first of all, because as an anxious person, I think that's one of my <laughs> life lessons to like let go of control a bit. And I do think that there's it's exciting to think about that we could be democratizing learning enough that we outsource, you know, the the L and D field. I don't think that that will happen. I do do think there's an important role in terms of, as you're saying, scaffolding, creating scaffolds to to structure um, and support and create successful environments for folks to be able to have this this playground in this space. Yeah. And there's no, and, that, and that's one of the, that's definitely one of the, the topic areas is, you know, who has governance, so governance over this space. <laughs> what happens when you have folks who are dominating the space and the, the learning that they're providing or whatever it is that they're offering is not accurate? Who, mm -hmm. who knows that? And who is going to call them out on that? Those are definitely real questions and hopefully you have people who are playing in the space who know that and know how to check um credit you know is it credible right why are they an authority figure on this yeah it's kind of the wikipedia problem right it, it's like yeah. you know i i trust wikipedia now because i know that the community around it is so tight that if anything wrong gets put in there that it's almost instantaneously corrected mm-hmm Right. But it used to have a reputation sure that, oh, you couldn't use that on a source. If you were looking something up from Wikipedia, that was as good as meaning someone just made that up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So looking at the clock on the wall, we only have a couple more minutes and I'd love to get to another one real fast and maybe we can just highlight it real, uh, real quick. But what's your what's your third one? Well, um, I was. Now I'm torn because we haven't gotten to too much tech. Should I do? Should we talk about immersive technology? Sure. Do something. Yeah. Do about... something really nerdy. Yeah. Do do immersive. Yeah. I'm yeah. into that. Do 
Yeah. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Should it be? Should we talk about AR and VR and XR? I think that those are just booming. We keep seeing. Did you guys see that Snapchat released their yes. their spectacles yesterday, yeah. which are not available to the public, <laughs> but a really cool example. I watched the video, and it has like like the six degrees of freedom kind of thing that their that uh, virtual reality uh, yeah. lenses have. So. Yeah, I call that Snapchat device like a consumer level HoloLens, mm -hmm. right? Because it doesn't yeah. look like it's going to cost more than a few hundred dollars. Uh, exactly. But it looks very similar from that video. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and HoloLenses right now are like, you know, just shy of $4,000. So just so cool to see that, you know, folks are looking at, and, and I love seeing the use cases that come out when folks come to TK and they're they're realizing the accessibility of of things like augmented reality and virtual reality nowadays. I think it was in our session last June with Jake where someone actually mentioned that she and it was an incredible timing she had attended a lot of the augmented reality sessions and because of the pandemic she ended up having to change her onboarding uh program and she got rid of her e-learning courses and turned it into this AR tour, which is just really cool. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, for folks who are joining the organization and they're working, I think it's like a manufacturing plant type of role for folks. So yeah, I think lot, seeing lots of, of, of use cases popping up and, and folks seeing that that as we sort of transition back into hybrid, it might be worth it to be exploring augmented reality or virtual reality options because it saves them money. Um, the, the barriers to entry are just so much different than they were a few years ago where you have, you know, you can buy a headset, these Oculus headsets that are only $200, $300 and, and lots of different um lots of different tools and platforms out there where you can start building something like VR. They have the templates you can start building um, off of the, they are using the gaming design kind of templates. And so you don't have to be a, a <laughs> VR software developer to start playing around with them. And the same thing for augmented reality. I mean, for somebody like me who has been dreaming about virtual reality for learning since it was still just science fiction and we were reading Neuromancer and Snow Crash and all those books and, you know, go, going through and experimenting every time VR kind of stuck its head above the ground, like Second Life. Oh, is this going to be it? Mm, nope, not quite yet. Um, <laughs> you know, PlayStation VR. Is that going to? No, no, not quite yet. Like now, soup's on, guys. It's happening. And right. I, I was I was sharing while we were in the green room uh, yesterday, just yesterday, I was doing a demo of a product from uh, from Tailspin which is uh, practice in how to terminate an employee and uh, very, very, very good, uh, very good simulation. I was doing it. I, I did a really good job the first time and the conversation went smoothly, but then I went back and I wanted to see what it would look like if I did it poorly. What I didn't know was my wife came home while that was going on and heard me doing this from my office. And when I left my office, she said, who were you firing and why were you being such a jerk about it? <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it made me think, well, that's some interesting learning that she heard me saying these things from the office. I got some feedback from her that, yeah, she could tell I was being a jerk. 
and uh, it, it kind of reinforced in in analog mode. It reinforced the digital simulation that I had. So what's what's kind of cool, and as we wrap up, like back to VR and AR and all mixed reality, that is a trend that I think has been a trend for a while, but it also goes up and down. So I think even last year, it probably wasn't before the pandemic, it actually dipped and now it's becoming more up again. So this is a space that I that we all actually truly love. It's fun. And uh, for those that are listening, why is it again? Why is this a trend? Well, it, it is a trend because of the accessibility and the ability. To, it, it is It's much easier and the barrier of entry is uh, much lower than it was ever before. So, and it's you know, very possible. That- it's very possible that you're sitting here going, "They are the boy that cried wolf," because I've heard it a thousand times that VR is coming and it's going to tip and all that kind of stuff. And it's not. I really think it's going to this time. I think it's close this time. Exactly. I think, I think we we get a lot of heat for calling it an emerging technology. Yeah. Uh, classifying it under that umbrella. And I think it's finally emerging in adoption because of these things. There's the, the lower barriers to entry, especially with cost. Well, hey, this has been a great time. Alexandria, we're going to have to get you back on. Maybe we need a part two of this because I think we only got halfway through your list. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that- <laughs> but a great discussion. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking that the, the last point going back full circle to this whole thing about the learning to learn, I know that while most of our listeners are in corporate learning, we do have a fair number of learners who are in secondary education, primary education. And I think that those are places where the learn to learn content can come in uh, even more and be even more effective. And it would be great to see a better uh, or a more skilled learning culture emerge around the world uh, with our kids and not just with our, our colleagues and the adults that we're responsible for developing. So preach it, brother. We are the world. We are the world. (laughs) Alexandria, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. Uh, We got through pretty much this whole thing with no Star Wars references. We're going to leave it at that. So I'll just say, may the force be with you to everybody. You did did say Wikipedia, didn't you? Uh, I didn't. I I was thinking, though, you know, I I was thinking Yoda said when we were talking about, like, we as learning designers need to be, you know, want to be in control. Yoda said both, like, control, control, you must learn control. And he said, <laughs> let go. So he's playing both sides of the coin that we need to go there. Anyway, that just reminds me, if you are interested in uh, coming out and joining us on a trip to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and to talk about what the simulation experience is like there and uh, the learning aspects of it, let us know and we'll see if we can pull something together at some point. Otherwise, it might just be us three geeks, and we'd enjoy that anyway, but (laughs) it would be more fun if you were here. So on behalf of our guests, Alexandria and Dana and Jake, this is Bob saying we'll see you on our next Learning Geeks podcast real soon. See you then. Thanks, all. Thank you. Thank you.